be the epitome of team teaching because this is kind of like a tag team wrestling match tonight. <laughs> since, since somebody didn't quite stay in his time limits on Sunday, he needed an extra 10 minutes tonight, so I'm starting off, but then Mitch and I are going to tag out at the end of chapter 4, or not the end of chapter 4, but the transition point I told you about, and go from there. So hopefully you won't get too confused by two, two, having two different teachers here. So um, appreciate everybody, uh, everybody being here tonight. <clears throat> the reason, I guess, that I would, would say that uh, um, I went on and on and, and, and even more time than the things that, that I prepared talking about this is, is just to me the beautiful realization we get when we get to this point in Hebrews chapter 4 where we recognize that all those things that we know we have with God, I mean, God, God's rest, we're connecting to this phrase, God's rest, that the Hebrew writer uses here. Things like providing for our spiritual needs. When Jesus said, your hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be filled. We understand that promise. And we recognize that's not just a promise for the world to come, or heaven to come. It's for now. It's peace that passes all understanding we read about in Philippians. We understand that and recognize that there's that we can we realize that now when we're here, godliness with contentment is great gain. We 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 studied that right in, in First Timothy, and we, we recognize that we recognize that worship brings benefits to us as well. But isn't it interesting how the the Hebrew writer in packaging up and talking about what the Hebrews had that they make need to make sure they don't lose through disobedience is they're not waiting for God's rest. They're already in God's rest in the present time. And to me, that's just a beautiful thought that, that I have to at least link up in my mind to, to how I'm approaching this life as a Christian. Do I really recognize as a Christian that God's providing me His rest now? Yes, there's absolutely a sense that we're yearning and waiting for heaven. Those are all not only biblical, appropriate biblical thoughts. Um, Paul talked about wanting to go on and, and, and better to remain. So, but all that being said, do we actually think about we're living in the middle of having God's rest right now. And it's God's rest that provides us the capability when we trust Him to overcome whatever gets put in front of us because God's promises are so sure in our lives that we believe them with, with no question that God's going to be able to do that, that we can say, like Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. That's what was happening to the Hebrews. We actually attach that word blessed to that. Just like to the, to the, to the Philippians, he said, you are blessed that you're going to be suffering for Christ. That's how we withstand when persecution comes, is to recognize we have something better, even in the midst of persecution, now, because we have a relationship with God. And that's really what this God's rest is talking about. And so, to me, that's just a beautiful idea that maybe packages up some things that we um, think about as maybe a glimpse of heaven we might talk about at times. But the Hebrew writer says, no, this is God's rest. He's providing this now. And your ancestors, the Hebrews, missed out on that because of disobedience. Don't you miss out on that as well. So then we turn to the kind of the final thought of, uh, of, this, of uh, this section, which is 
God's word is sharper than any two-edged uh, sword. Andy, if you got your Bible right, uh, open, just read, if you don't mind, read um, verses 11 and 13 for us as we get started on this section. 11 through 13. Yes, 4, 11 through 13. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay. So verses 11 and 12 begins with this wonderful word that we've talked about, this connecting word called therefore. So as we're going to talk about verses 11 and 12, think about what does therefore connect back to? It's in verse 11. He says something in verse 11, and then he says, verse 12, therefore. What's, what's the therefore connect to? Entering the rest. Well, it is entering the rest, but what, what particular aspect of entering? <clears throat> Strive to enter. Be diligent to enter. So you have to be diligent to enter God's rest, to not, which is another way of saying to not let unbelief creep into your heart like crept into the hearts of your, of your ancestors. Because, now he's going to describe a characteristic of God that we should soberly think about when we look at this. First of all is God's Word. What's, what's, what's the first word that we're talking about? God's Word is living. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, God's Word is living. Active. It's active. It's active when? All the time. All the time. Today, right? It's, it's active now. God's word isn't irrelevant. It's not passe. It's not old. It's not obsolete. Not obsolete. It's living. Um, what else is implied by by living? It's not dead. It's it's still causing things to happen, right? It's God's word that, that's active in doing that. So, uh, really, I think is is an important concept that, that's that's here because we've. We've got a modern world, even a modern religious world, if you look very closely, and by the way, you can start seeing this under people who hang Church of Christ over their door now. They're trying to reinterpret the Bible in a more progressive manner. That, well, those things they didn't understand back in those days, we understand more so we can reinterpret. And God's Word doesn't really mean that. Really? So where was God's Word inadequate? Back then or today? What? what God's word is living. That, that argument doesn't hold doesn't hold water to what he's saying here. It's powerful. The uh, Greek word for powerful. And I don't usually go into this very much, but it's energes. E n e r g e s. What does that remind you of? Energetic. God's word makes things happen. So if God made a promise to us, what can we be sure about that? Because God's word is powerful. God capable of keeping that promise? 100%. God's Word is powerful. It provides the energy to make happen what He wants happen. And so if God says that those who believe in me enter my rest, what happens? He enters rest. And if God says because of unbelief they shall not enter my rest, like happened with the Israelites, what happens? Their corpses fall in the desert. That's God's Word. Be diligent to make sure you enter that rest because God's Word is that active and that powerful 
to cause his promises to happen, and by, when we think about that further, to cause what else to happen? Cause his condemnations to happen, yeah. if, if that's the case. Sharper than any two-edged sword. What was the most offensive weapon of war that existed at the time when this letter was written? A two-edged sword. A two-edged sword. While you could use a sword to defend yourself, sword, that, that two-edged sword wasn't meant to defend. It's meant, meant to do what? Okay. And so how does God use his two-edged sword, his God's word, his two-edged sword? What's the verse say? What does God do with his word? The two-edged sword, which does what? Pierces. Pierces. Wow. Okay. So does God get below the surface? I can keep you at the surface of my life. I can keep you from getting very far ahead if God decides to. Can't do that with God. God's sword's going right on through. And then how how good of a surgical job does it do? You done your cadaver work yet? So how does it do a better job than you did in your cadaver work? How, 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 how finely does God's sword take things apart to see and inspect them? Bone and marrow. And then what's the other way? Soul and spirit. How does that work? You got an answer for that, we'll just we'll have a whole class on that. <laughs> well, it happens through Jesus. At least that's the ultimate answer, but I mean, only through Jesus. Whatever that fine division was, God can flay us apart and totally look at us down to be divided by any plane we want. And He's examining us for what? Does Greg believe in me? Does he trust me? Does he believe my promises? Is he willing to do my will? That's really what the context of this verse is. God's taking me apart to understand do I really believe and therefore am I really going to get to stay in his rest and he's not trying to accuse me that there's nothing about there it's just, it's just God can see beyond your pretenses he can take you totally apart so just recognize that and then these other phrases he puts down here nothing is hidden from God we can't hide from God and not only can we not hide from God what's the picture we get here everything is what to God naked and laid open I have those weird dreams sometimes where I'm somewhere and I'm, you know don't have clothes on or underwear on. And that's all these things about not being prepared. If you have, you have, I don't know if you ever have one of those dreams. Maybe I'm just weird in doing that. But it's the fear of being unprepared that sometimes they say a dream about not having your clothes on in public. Is I'm afraid I won't be prepared if I'm about to do some public thing in doing that. We're, we're like that from God all the time. We're naked and laid open. Do I live my life like, you know, God's, I can see through all of my pretends. So, were the Hebrews yet falling away? Well, they were leaning that way. The thoughts of intense from the heart, but did they have an intention to maybe go back? Well, they're getting a letter because that's, that's being picked up on. God's already picked it up at that point. He knows. It's obvious, so obvious to him. It's obvious to him. They, have, they might not have gone away yet, but it's obvious where they're headed. This is a, this is a really, I think, a great verse. We're going to end right here and we'll turn it over to Mitch as we, as we talk about Jesus being our high priest. But I, I just want to leave you with this thought here. 
every day and in every action we take, it would do us good, it would do me good to imagine myself standing in front of the phone of God and seeing Him hit the, the play button to replay that. Well, here's what was go here's what you did, here's what was going on in your heart, here's what was this was. Do you have an explanation for that, Greg? Boy, do I want to stand up and give that testimony in front of God? We have to think about that that's that's the life that we live. And if if I can say, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just I trusted you, and he said, Well, I saw that evidence of that trust. Just like David, David messed up, but God saw the evidence of him trusting him. That's what we want God to conclude from this. But we don't want to walk around thinking we can hide something from God. God knows if we're about to fall away. So let's let's don't do it because you don't want to go what like where the place the Israelites did. Mitch, tag it, I'm tagging out. Okay. Tag you're in. I'm in. You know, I was thinking about this as nickelback. About as well. That's it's disconcerting. You can call it scary, you can call it all kinds of things. How else could you look at that? Is there anything comforting about that? In what way? He knows us completely. Well, he knows us completely, so when we pray, um, is it time to play games with him? No. Just tell it all. He knows it anyway. I need your help. Sir, I need your help here. You you know me, but you know me better than I, than I know myself, and that is true. So why don't you just lay it out when you're in your private time with him, because he knows it anyway. And you may as well say, I don't want to be embarrassed. Oh, if you got anything to be embarrassed, he's you're already embarrassed because he already knows it anyway. So you may as well just tell it. So to me, I think it's got a little bit of a comforting side to it too. But that's, that's, we were just talking earlier. I don't think there's going to be any accidents of people that are in heaven. I wonder how he or she slipped through because God's going to know it all. He knows it all. And uh, so there's no need to, uh, no need to play. There's also comfort. He gave his word to us. We can use it to ourselves. Not with his power and energy, but we can examine ourselves using his word and know where we're going to stand against it. In fact, he, he tells us to do that, doesn't he? Um, the, the, those are really... Uh, when I had COVID, I, of course, you're just laying in the bed after a few days when you don't think you're going to die. You're not 100% sure. I just started memorizing. And those are the verses that I memorized. It's 12, uh, 11 through 13. Uh, you lay in there anyway. And so you may as well do something productive. But the, the, those are those are really good. They're really good uh, verses. If you go back to chapter three real quickly, look at verse eight, verse twelve. I think this is where the, the great divider is going to be at the end when we stand before him. He says, "You are going to stand before me, by the way, and give it to you." Look at verse eight. <clears throat> Do not harden your what? Hearts. Hearts. As in the day of rebellion. Look at verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Well, how do you know all that? Well, verses 12, 13 tells you exactly how he knows. 
no hiding. No hiding at all. Um, any, any thoughts there? I want to... Uh, Alright, chapter one, real quickly. Uh, brown, 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 one's better. brown one works well. Brown is better. What, what about chapter one? What, what we don't memorize then? I'm just going to, I'll, I'll put the thing. Jesus, better than angels. Let's bring back some old days in the classroom. Number two, do not drift. Hmm? Don't drift. Don't drift away. We'll just, we'll just say, don't drift. Don't be looking at you, no. <laughs> he might do that. <laughs> Number three. Jesus is better than Moses. Than Moses. Four. To enter the rest now. <laughs> yeah. Um, enter. There are different ways to say it. We'll just say enter um, in God's rest. As also said, uh, what we learned from this is we're in it now. Now there's all kinds of ways that we're in that now. We're going to talk about we'll get to the high priest part a little bit. On um, talks about Jesus being a sympathetic high priest. We'll talk about that. And then number five. Uh, number five. Pardon? Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better high priest. Now, we're going to talk about... We're going to get into the uh, order of Melchizedek big time. Well, Greg is. I'll be in Kentucky. <laughs> Cornbread. <laughs> um, about Melchizedek. So let's just let's look at and we're, we're going. Well, let me read. A, let me read. A, just read a few here, and then I want you to be thinking about what a high priest did. What did? What do you know about Melchizedek? And what will you know after we finish chapter five, a little bit of six, and all of seven? So be thinking about that. Um, chapter five, <clears throat> verse one. Oh, I was going to do one other thing in verse sixteen of chapter four. It says, "Come boldly." boldly before the throne. What does that mean? Yes, he says with confidence. Confidently. Confidently. Do you go before uh, kings normally, confidently, boldly in the old days? How would Esther do? Remember her story? Her uncle said, you got to go. She said, ah, if he doesn't summon me, he can kill me for even come in, in the same room. You didn't come before kings and queens in those days confidently or boldly. It's off of your head if you do that. We don't have a king. And also keep in mind he's a king and a high priest. We're going to, may not get to that tonight, but we'll get to uh, to it Sunday. You're thinking about how can he be both? What, the, what does that mean? We'll talk about that. So 
For every high priest taken among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going straight, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. No man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was called. Well, that's a, that's a lot of stuff there. Um, what do we know about a, a high? What was the purpose of a high priest? First of all, what tribe did you have to be from? Levi. Levi. Well, I have a little problem here in a minute. <laughs> uh, Levi. Who was the first high priest? Uh, was he elected by popular vote? God selected Aaron. Now we're going to see Greg and I talking about this in Roman times. That's exactly, they, they were they were Roman puppets. We see that uh, in Jesus' trials and all of that. So it had disintegrated long from God appointing to being a a, a, a Roman puppet, really. So. Um, so a high, a high priest was taken among men, appointed by God Himself. And it says that He, um, we can go back to Numbers 3.10, you can do that on your own. Um, look at gifts and sacrifices. Now, as, as the, the, uh, the commentary that we, that, we, that we study some, he says, don't make too big a deal out of this, but yet it means something. Gifts and sacrifices. Under the old law, were all sacrifices mandatory? No. No. Some were voluntary. Well, when could you do that? Anytime. 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 You could. You could bring your gifts. It was a gift. It was a, it was voluntary. A gift. There's no really any strings attached. It's a gift. You could do that. But even if you brought the gift, did you offer it yourself? No. No, you did not. You didn't. The priest did. Mm -hmm. And then sacrifices, were there mandatory sacrifices, mm -hmm. of course. Um, the seven month, seven month, and the tenth day, the day of atonement, once a year, the high priest came um, into, the most ho into the holy place to offer sacrifice, you know, the bulls and the goats and all that all that stuff. Go back to the numbers and, and see some of that. Um, who did the high priest offer these, the bulls and the goats, for? For the, for the, well, for the people. And himself. And for himself. Why? Because no one is the He was a sinner. He was a sinner. He was a sinner. Um, uh, look at verse 2. It says, and they're talk, not talking about Jesus right here. He's talking about the high priest. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Now this high priest, who also was a sinner, who had to offer sacrifices first for himself and then for the people, did he understand the people? Did he understand their sins? 
Yes. How come? But he was he he did the, He was a center too. Mm -hmm. Now hold on to that thought in a, in, a, in a little bit, or at least for Sunday, when we start talking about Jesus and His compassion for us, even though we never sinned. Um, I think also a key word there is ignorant. When we sin willfully, the New Testament is pretty clear. There, there doesn't remain any more forgiveness of sin when we sin willfully. Now, can you change that? Yes, you, you can. You can repent. But these people were on the verge of beginning to give up to sin willfully. And we're, we're going to see in a little bit, even in this chapter, where be careful because you reach a point where your hearts become hardened. Chapter 3. And God knows the hearts. He's explained all of that. So, he's making a pretty clear distinction here to his people. I know who you are. I know where you are. I know some of you are, a good bit of you are on the verge of falling away. I'm not giving up yet. But it may come to that point when your hearts get so hardened that there's no, there's no hope. Thoughts or, thoughts, questions or comments on that? He's saying, I'm compassionate because you're doing this ignorantly. Still sin. But you're doing it ignorantly. And it appears to have more, uh, more compassion and more concern. Because he said, um, no, that's all I want to say about that. Any questions or comments before I get into this Melchizedek thing a little bit? Mitch, what were the um, requirements for being a priest other than from the tribe of Levi? A uh, priest or high priest? Priest. Okay, priest. They they were orders of priests. I think that's that's, that's what the Bible calls them, orders of priests. There were priests who uh, offered uh, um, incense. Their job, their family, uh, what their job was to make sure that that they offered incense every day and you didn't let it go out and that kind of thing. Then there were priests, orders of priests who who um, attended to the temple. Some the utensils, some uh, um, uh, would actually kill bloodlet, you know, kill all the animals. There were, there were orders of all, all Levites, but different families of Levites. Had different responsibilities. Had different responsibilities. That's probably the best way to say it, not really. You can go back and, and uh, when you got a big, tall cup of coffee, and you want to go back and dig deep, and you, you can do that uh, there because it'll take you a while. But I like the way you said it. They have different responsibilities. Now, there's only one high priest. And who was able to go into, you know, you had the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, you had uh, um, the, the place where the sacrifices were, then you had the holy place, then you had a curtain, and you had the most holy place. Only the high priest could go to the most holy place. And, and how many times did he go? Once a year. One time. We call it July the 10th. Uh, the seventh month of the uh, tenth day of the seventh month. Of course, they have different calendars. But, uh, one time a year. And you better be clean. Remember all of that? 
You make sure you wash yourself. You make sure all your clothes are washed. You make sure you've got all of the, the turban and all of these sashes and things on. Uh, don't be coming for me uh, like some ragtag that uh, basically God would say. You come before me like you're serious. Because you're, 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 uh, you're, you're uh, offering sacrifices for the sins of all these millions of people that you're responsible for, basically. Okay. Now, the order of Melchizedek. Well, I don't go right on that there, but who was Melchizedek? Hopefully, you did a little research on that. Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God. Priest of the Most High God. What else was he? He was a king. King and high priest. Ooh. Uh, was the family of the Levites were they kings and high priests? They were, only high, they were only priests and then one high priest. But not king. Melchizedek, high priest and king. Who else we'll see a little bit was also high priest and king? Jesus. We'll talk about the implications of those two words here in a little bit. <clears throat> so Melchizedek, he, uh, remember the story that Lot was kidnapped? His family? And Abraham took 318 of them men to go get them all back, which that's a small number considering who got them. Brought them back, and on the way back, they run into this guy named Melchizedek. Well, the Bible's real clear about the lesser always offers uh, gifts, homage to the greater. Well, Abraham was the greatest man probably on the earth at that time. Who offered whom gifts and, and tithes? The Bible even says it was a tithe, 10%. Abraham offered spoils and, and tithes to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is an is a important fellow. Now what tribe was he from? Question. But I don't, I don't know. King of Salem. King of Salem, which is what Jerusalem. We know that. It says he has no mother, no father, no background, no really. Did you think that's that's so? If that that's the case, then he was. A god of some sort, or, a, or an angel, or something. I don't believe that. That was uh, what's important to these Hebrews. Their genealogy. God knows that. So He said, "We've got a guy here. He's a high priest and king. I'm not telling you where he came from." He came from somewhere, but uh, his mama, his daddy, and all these things, they're not important. They're not important. That's all that means. They're not important. So Melchizedek. Um, priest and king. What does a king do? We're gonna, we'll tie this into Jesus, too. What does a king do? Is he a uh, he reigns, but does he give orders usually? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yes. He gives edicts. He, 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 he gives orders. That's probably as good as any. Uh, well, what does a high priest do? Serves. He serves. No, well, there's a there's a dichotomy if I ever saw one. Jesus is high priest and king. Does, does, does Jesus does he reveal his commandments, his word? Yes. Does he also is he empathetic, sympathetic toward his people? He expects us to do what he asks us to do or commands us to do. But he also is very, very sympathetic toward us. So in a sense, he's after the order of Melchizedek. He's not from Levi. He's not from the tribe of Levi. It's not important who is any family, physical family lineage. It's not important. He's high priest and king. And you, you take great you take great pride in Abraham. Well, Abraham gave 10% of what he had to Melchizedek. Must be a big man. Must be an important man. He was. Um, so we're going to see now. Um, oh, oh, did he have a uh, successor? Melchizedek. Not. Didn't end. He didn't have a successor. So now we're beginning to see tied into uh, to, to Jesus some of the some of the uh, loose ends that that, that that he will tie up concerning Melchizedek. And wait till you get to chapter seven. I'm glad Greg is going to teach that. <laughs> so <clears throat> verse five. I, I, was, I know we have only two or three minutes. That's okay. This is a short uh, section. Um, we'll, we'll finish it up on Sunday. So also Christ did not glorify Himself to become high priest, but it was said, but it was He who said to Him, God, You are My Son, today I have begotten You. That's in Psalm 2. He also says in another place, Psalm 110, You are a priest forever after, according to the order of Melchizedek. And we'll see, we'll get an insight of, of, uh, of Jesus and His Spirit when He was suffering. We're, we're going to touch a pretty good bit on that on Sunday. Um, there's one of the things I wanted to bring up. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember where, what it was. Oh, it says that um, Jesus was tempted like we are, only without sin. I've heard that it must have been fairly... He doesn't understand us because he's never seen it. Now think about this. Which would be easier or more difficult to do and, and may have more empathy or sympathy for us? If, if, if a person is tempted and, and sins, he's weak and he sins. Or he's tempted and he toughs it out and he does not sin. Who's not... Of those two, who's going to have the most sympathy or empathy for us? The one who toughed it out. The one who toughed it out and didn't sin. Mm -hmm. Anybody yield to temptation, it don't take a genius to do that. So, they said, well, Jesus don't understand us because He never sinned. Actually, He does more than, than the opposite. Mm -hmm. Well, and in the case that there's only been one person to do that out of 
how many billions or trillions of people who have lived on the earth. Like, if anybody's going to understand, it's going to be that one person that went through it all and yep. did it perfectly. And we'll, we'll talk on Sunday about I'm coming that Jesus. Do you think Jesus had something to learn when he came to this earth? He's got that. He did. What did he have to learn? Let's see it in the next three or four verses there. He learned obedience. By the things he suffered. So when we're suffering, sometimes I'm giving up. Suffering. I give up. No, that that that's that's when you learn. That's when you learn obedience. That's when you that's when you actually grow. Think back on your lives. You don't have to say right now, but I've, I've been thinking about this this week. My, some of my toughest times in life, uh, when when you know you, your life could have gone either way. If you can overcome that, it makes you a better person, a stronger person. But at the time, you go, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can make it. Jesus understands that. He understands that, and I think even appreciates that. I do. I think he appreciates what we will do. Go ahead, Scott. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, I mean, my understanding of the, the cross is that Jesus, that Jesus did, that he was separated from God. So um, he he does understand how we feel um, in that way because our sins separate us from God, and that's the that's the worst thing that we can, the feelings that we experience. That's the worst thing that we can experience, and, and ultimate separation is obviously uh, a damnation. So, so he, he really can sympathize in every way. No, that, that's true. But I know that was the last one. Read Psalms 22 for some if you would, and also read uh, these. These I know you already have these. These next verses talk about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, this is this is the. God who created this earth with vehement cries and tears to who? To God. Who was able to save him from death. God was able to do that. And was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. He learned obedience. By the things which he suffered, uh, that's that's almost above our pay grade. I think sometimes to understand that. So, but we have a first of all, he's a king. Where, where's this king right now? Right next to God's right hand, where a king sits. In doing what for us, Greg? Giving us aid. Giving us aid. How's he do that? <laughs> he talks on behalf. He sympathizes with us. Well, I mean, intercedes. No, he does. Yeah. He's a mediator. He's an intercessor. The Holy Spirit is an intercessor in a certain way. Well, I don't see all that, so it must not be happening. Oh, it's happening. It's happening. How? I don't know. But either, to Greg's point earlier, either we believe that or we don't. And he says, I know your heart, and I want you to believe it because it's true. His, his promises always come true. Always come true. Even though at the time we can't see how it's going to happen. We just don't. We can't see it. And did you, what did you say about Jesus? He'll learn obedience through suffering? 
That's what the Hebrew writer is asking them to do. To learn to have this obedience that you get God's rest through toughing it out through the suffering and persecution. Jesus knows what it's like to learn obedience through suffering. You can make it, He did. Absolutely. This is why He's better. That's why He's better. That's exactly why He's better. And then when you look at chapter 12, which we'll get to, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. There's some different ideas on that. Whatever it happens to be, there's, and it's almost like you, you're cheering. They're cheering. You can do this. You can do this. Why? We did it. We did it. You can too. It's almost like they're like a cheering section for us. We can't see it, but I believe it's glow. In some sense, some fashion, I don't know how exactly. We'll go to that. Twelve. I can't wait to get to twelve. It's a wonderful chapter. We got a ways to go.